Welcome to the NOLA Podcast. This is your boy, Rue. On this episode, Mark Moriel, former New Orleans mayor and current president of the National Urban League. Rugaj has the interview. My man, take it away. Mr. Moriel. Hey, what's going on? I'm excellent. How you doing, sir? Man, we fighting hard, brother. Yeah, definitely. Man of war. <laughs> man of war, man. Put your, put your helmet on, take your, put your boxing gloves on, and get a machete. <laughs> you know, of course, we are New Orleanians. I know that you are a fighter. So let's definitely get right into it. I want you to talk a little bit more about unmasked as a term and, and a deep, what is the deeper meaning of that for our community? The deeper meaning is that the, the pain and oppression, the discrimination and the disparities that we face, it's been common for some to dismiss them as though they didn't exist, for others to be indifferent to it and therefore diminish its importance as something that affects our nation and affects our community. So when we unmask it, we're putting the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth out front for people to see. COVID did not create health disparities. It would be as though did the storm create a leak on the boat or the weakness of the structure of the boat. No, the weakness of the structure of the boat was already there. The storm exposed it. Did COVID create economic disparities? No, COVID didn't create that. COVID exposed them. George Floyd's death creates uh, racial justice and police misconduct and brutality uh, as a main, major problem affecting black communities. No, it exposed it. So this report, we're unmasking the facts and unmasking these disparities and unmasking the triple pandemics that we're facing. Now, because, I mean, you have been in this work for a long time, as have we, we already know the problems. And uh, you as a problem solver, what is your prescription, if you will? What type of solution should we be looking at? Yeah, so we have published over the years numerous plans, numerous urban agendas, black agendas. There's no lack of ideas. There's no lack of public policy prescriptions that would address these issues. What has occurred is that there's been political opposition and resistance to taking the steps necessary to eradicate these issues. So if you take a simple, clear, easy to understand issue like the minimum wage, where raising the minimum wage to a living wage on a national basis would by itself allow people to earn their way out of poverty. That legislation has been dead on arrival in the Congress since 2007. That's 13 years. Now, that's not a panacea. That's not a fix. There's nothing dramatic about it, but it goes to show you that even something as simple uh, and as clear and as ambiguous as raising the minimum wage faces opposition from the political right in the United States. Right. Now, that's interesting that you note that um, because it goes right into what I would like to talk about next. We talk about a failure in some ways of leadership. And recently you you published a book uh, in the talking about the Gumbo Coalition as a handbook guide, if you will, for leadership. Talk about the book and what is it that leaders could pull from the book that would actually lead to solutions. Leaders have to be bold. They have to be imaginative. They have to have a plan. They've got to communicate the plan and mobilize people to support the plan. They've got to find 
if they can common ground with people who may not be immediately aligned, uh, they've got to know when the plan has to be adjusted. Uh, in the United States today, we have a political problem, and the political problem emanates in many respects at the national level from the far right, which is entrenched and oppositionally, even modest states, to address some of the problems you suggested. So just as of recent, uh, after the death of George Floyd, the civil rights community and myself playing a major role in it, worked with Karen Bass in the Congressional Black Caucus and a number of others, Senate Richmond, a congressman from New Orleans, in putting together this new bill, George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. It's bold, it's, uh, it ends many of the practices that uh, have caused problems. It creates structural changes in both the civil uh, system and the criminal system when it comes to accountability. It passed the House with flying colors. It can't even, it's not even brought up to a vote in the United States Senate by Mitch McConnell. Can't even a vote. If it were put up to a vote, I'm confident it would pass. But it's subject to filibusters, political holes, blocking, thwarting, obfuscating. Uh, and I use that because when you're talking about challenges, you have to talk in terms of public policy. You have to talk in terms of legislative changes, in many instances, executive actions at the national, the state, and the local levels. Uh, I did a lot of my work in New Orleans maximizing the power of the executive branch, maximizing the power of being mayor of New Orleans and, 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 and put a number of things in place because I was able to influence, for the most part, have a say over what the city's budget, budgetary priorities were. You know, I wanted to put priorities on summer jobs for youth, on campus for kids, on programs for young people, minority business participation, affordable housing, those sorts of things, and, and, and we put them in place. And it, it, it required a lot of work and a lot of commitment, and the willingness to battle the opposition if necessary. Now, you did mention uh, a few of the coalition as far as working with various organizations moving forward with an agenda. Of course, you know, there are, we all have the same destination, but, you know, different routes or tactics sometimes. What other things is the National Urban League doing in terms of collaborating with other civil rights organizations, etc.? We collaborate with a wide range of organizations. So right now, let me give you a great example. So one great example is we're convener of what's known as the Black Census Roundtable. We have 55 uh, organizations in the Black Census Roundtable. Those include national civil rights organizations, like the NAACP National Action Network, Black Women's Roundtable. So it is one example, right, uh, of a public coalition. Uh, there are numerous examples of coalitions that don't necessarily meet the eye. For example, when we worked on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, there were approximately six or seven of us who did numerous phone calls with Karen Bass, Charles Schumer, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, uh, behind the scenes to build a consensus and also to really call on our elected officials to put a strong bill in and do it now. So there are multiple ways we work together. Some are visible, some are less visible because the intent is not just visibility, the intent is, a, is results. So, so the national level, what I've tried to do is bring like-minded organizations together around specific issues, understanding that that doesn't mean you're, you know, you're not walking in lockstep on everything. You know, you're coming together around specific and 
particular ideas or responses to particular problems. So we've been working in opposition to the Trump administration's proposed changes to the Community uh, Reinvestment Act, the anti-redlining law. Our combo with Mark Morial continues after this brief message. This week's episode was brought to you in part by Mr. Chell's First Class Cuts, located at 2734 South Carrollton Avenue, is the premier barbershop in the city of New Orleans. Founded by the iconic Wilbert Mr. Chell Wilson, it continues to be the place where one can receive first class service. So today call 504-861-7530 to make an appointment. Mr. Chell's First Class Cuts, continuing the tradition of excellence in service and giving back to the community. Now back to our interview with Mark Morial. Because we're in the middle of a very important presidential election, and I would, I would argue that our democracy, our life is at stake. Regardless of who is elected the next president, of course, the black community is not monolithic. What is it that you, as one of those national leaders, if you will, if you are in a conversation with whoever the next president is, what is it that they need to be addressing in terms of, let's just say, a black agenda? So one of the most important things about a black agenda is to straighten out the system of democracy. Pass a new voting rights act. We need a new voting rights act. We need anti-voter suppression initiatives. We have to end this assault on democracy. I think it is one of the highest priorities because if we don't vote, if our right to vote is trampled, if it is, if it is, if it is tortured, if it is thwarted, we have no opportunity whatsoever to be able to move the ball on any other issue. So number one is fix the voting system, pass a new voting rights act, do it as job one for a new administration. Secondly, I want to see comprehensive economic development plan to benefit black America, right? Uh, and that means like businesses, that means African workers, that means assisting city government and others to, 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 to serve where we live. Uh, I want to see that. Uh, and, and, and there are a range of issues. I also want to see a real commitment from the next administration to make sure that when this vaccine is available, it is available on an equitable basis to everyone. So we have a range of ideas. Uh, the Main Street Marshall Plan is our comprehensive idea. You should stay tuned because we are working now on a new quote-unquote black agenda. There are multiple black agendas uh, uh, that various people have, have positioned. But ours will be released in conjunction with the commemoration of the March on Washington. And uh, five major uh, civil rights organizations have been working on that. And it'll be, it'll be an update to our 2015 plan. We are approaching the 15th anniversary of, of Hurricane Katrina. And you as a as a New Orleanian, forever, what's your take on when you do come to the city? What is your take on the, the progress of how the city has rebuilt? I have very mixed emotions, very mixed emotions. On one hand, I have a great deal of applause for uh, the work that's been done by so many to bring the city back. On the other hand, uh, I still see too many neighborhoods, too many communities that have not fully come back. So I have very mixed emotions. Uh, and, and, and my love for the city is such that I think I will feel those mixed emotions for the rest of my life because Hurricane Katrina was so mishandled 
by every level of government. In my book, I call out the president, I call out the then governor, and I call out the then mayor uh, because they were all in charge and could have done better. They could not have stopped the hurricane, but they could have done much, much better both uh, in terms of the immediate aftermath and as well as the progress towards the rebuilding uh, of the city. So I have very mixed because uh, I still know people who are living in Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, Baton Rouge, family members who live in places like Alexandria, uh, who've been unable to come back, uh, who still love New Orleans and consider it home. So uh, I, I mean not to you know point fingers at any elected official or any community leader, but I, I, I would be less than remiss. The city has about 100,000 less people than it had uh, 15 years ago, so its repopulation was not complete. Many people left. Uh, it's still a proud, strong New Orleans, but there's still a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done. With a smaller population, we are still seeing in New Orleans and other cities as well crime and violence. Under your administration, uh, crime was reduced by a considerable amount. You're talking about how cities can work better to reduce crime in addition to non resource things in terms of what people can do you know, outside of the police in terms of stopping crime. What can people do on an individual level, on a family level? It is a mistake to think that, quote unquote, policing alone will solve a violence problem. What you have in New Orleans now is a problem of gun violence. Gun violence. Gun violence that emanates from the drug trade. Gun violence which emanates from low economic opportunity. So people pursue economic opportunity in an underground drug economy. We need to, people need to be clear. I don't need a study. I don't need an analysis. I don't need a commission to tell me what most people who are familiar with the city and familiar with goes on already know. So while you can't do it with policing alone, you have to have effective policing that's going to focus on violent crime. Not every small crime, but focus on violent crime, solving violent crime. Number two, the country needs and does not have in any way, shape, or form any sort of handle on the proliferation of guns. It's so easy to get a gun in the United States today. It is easy to get a gun. Legally, illegally, uh, black market or not, it is easy to get a gun. And the proliferation of guns has made and high-powered weapons has made gun violence more extreme and more worse. That's number two. Number three, economic opportunity. What we, I think, demonstrated in my administration is trying to create economic opportunity, put people to work building affordable housing, put young people to work in the summer. My goal in the summer was to make sure that every teenager that wanted a job had a job. And and, and I was very visible about it. And, and so I, I think there's no easy fix for this, but you've got to invest in the people and in the community and not fall into a trap thinking that policing alone is going to fix it. Although policing, good policing, community policing, can be effective. We show that, we prove that in New Orleans. We took the murder rate down by 70-80% in public housing by employing community-based policing in those neighborhoods, right? And I don't mean to say that what we did 20 years ago is the absolute solution today. I'll just say that in the history, modern history of the city, no administration was more successful 
in combating crime, in producing jobs, in building affordable housing, in doing things for black businesses in my administration. And 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 I know that and I and I and I feel strongly about that. And I don't do it to to, to criticize others. I just say that that we had a model, we had and, and we were not perfect. And there was a lot of work that we, you know, more work that we wanted to do. But the point is, is that in this whole movement in the country, which says defund police, if people would stop focusing on the words and understand that what it really is saying is you have to reinvest and you have to put money and resources into other things. You have to put it in progress for young people. You have to put it in economic opportunity. You have to build affordable housing, right? And you have to do other things. And many, many communities and the nation seem to have forgotten, uh, you know, basic rules of humanity, right? Basic rules of growth and development. And when I travel the nation, and I go to Baltimore, I go to Philadelphia, I go to all the major communities, and I see the redlining, the deterioration that has occurred in those communities. I go to New Orleans, and I see how some neighborhoods once vibrant seem to have deteriorated. We cannot run from the fact that these communities have been underinvested in, disinvested in, and that you have to reverse that trend. And leadership can reverse that trend. Leadership has to say we're going to pay close attention to where resources are going to go. And I think a new administration and the administration of the future has to put together a multi, I call it a multi-trillion dollar plan to rebuild America's economy and to rebuild all of America, but with a specific part focusing on rebuilding black America. Right. Now, I would argue that, I mean, to to your point, that more resources and not fewer resources are important in terms of making communities whole. Because the, the, I think that the, the, that the key is when you look at communities that don't have problems with over-policing or the wrong type of policing, oftentimes they have all the resources that they need. So I would agree that more resources are necessary to make these things happen on a micro and a macro level. Now, and in closing, a couple quick ones now. People across the nation well, you know, are hurting right now well, in terms of COVID, issues of racial inequality, systemic racism, etc. What is it that Mark Morio, as a leader of a historic organization, what are your thoughts about the future of America or are you hopeful about the future of America? I'm, I'm hopeful because I'm an internal optimist, but I am worried. I am worried. I am concerned uh, because the climate of hatred, the climate of intolerance, that uh, has been injected into the body politic uh, gets in the way of meaningful progress. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna retain my optimism uh, and, and my sense of what needs to be done, but I would be less than honest if I didn't tell you I'm deeply concerned. But that concern compels me to work harder. We are now uh, at the National Urban League launching uh, we, the Reclaim Our Vote initiative. We're going to be registering and educating and getting out the vote. We're working in about 15 markets, mainly in the, you know, the east and the, the south, uh, east coast, mid-Atlantic region, and in the Midwest. Uh, and, and, you know, we realize that politics is not a panacea for a solution, but it's one tool to get people in public office. They're going to feel, have a feeling in a sense that there's an obligation to help the 
black community built itself. Finally, is there anything else that you would like to say to the people of the great city of New Orleans? I, I want to encourage everyone to do three things. Mask up, vote up, and count up. Wear your mask, make sure you vote, and make sure we're counted in the census. And New Orleans goes, I love you. Mr. Morio, thank you for your time. I appreciate what you do. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Mark Moriel, author of The Gumbo Coalition, 10 Leadership Lessons that will help you inspire, unite, and achieve. Please subscribe to get the next episode of the NOLA Podcast. For your boy, Gaj Amri, peace.